0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. That was awesome. Well done. Well done. Uh, How many of you, uh, because I gave up uh, New Year's resolutions for a New Year's resolution a few years ago. I've decided to come back to it. So how many of you created a New Year's resolution? Let me see some hands. Okay, some of you, some of you. How many of you have already fallen off the wagon on your New Year's resolutions? Okay, some of you. How many of you don't wanna raise your hand because you're embarrassed to admit that we're not even one week into the New Year? Okay, so the way this goes, right, we begin a New Year, and it's it's a time to turn things over. 2019 was a little bit interesting for my family, a number of crazy things happened, some good, some bad, some stressful, and it was, I was sitting in bed with my kids, putting it in bed and praying at night, we were talking, and I was talking about sometimes the need, the benefit of a new day, a new thing, of starting over. My son just turned six yesterday, my youngest son, and um, I'm glad for that, I always wanted him to get to six, I'm not sure I want him to go any further, I haven't decided yet, but There's something powerful. He gets on the phone with Grandma, and he goes, I'm the same height as I was yesterday, but I'm a whole year older. (laughs) Right? Like, again, he's six, he's processing this, but there's something powerful about marking that new year, that new day, that new thing. Uh, The young lady who was baptized this morning backstage just met her for the first time and I was just talking to her and she said it was just just a chance to mark a new beginning, to go all in with Jesus and mark this new year with something new, something special. The reason why we all set aside New Year's resolutions is not just because the end of the year is stressful, it's not just because we put on a few pounds and we want to make some changes, it's because something in our heart is stirring, something's not. Right. Something's out of whack in my life, in my schedule, in my heart, in my family, and my relationships, and I need something different. I need something new. Have you ever felt that way? I remember when I was, uh, well, I'll leave out how old I was. Uh, I start to date myself when I do that. There was a point in my life where uh, I was going through some stuff, and I remember going on a prayer walk with God. Now, a prayer walk, for those of you who are familiar with this, is you literally just go outside when nobody else is around. You start walking, and you just start talking. And if people see you, they think you're a crazy person. And It's okay, and I was on this prayer walk with God and I was just talking to God and letting out my thoughts and my feelings and I'd gone through this kind of first part of the walk where I was kind of repenting of some things that God, I need to get these things right with you and I'm sorry, will you forgive me, Lord? I know I haven't done these things well or right and I know I've been pleasing to you and, and then asking for strength and courage. God, I know I need to step into these new opportunities, these new hard struggles, these new hard things. But then about an hour into the walk or so, I started getting really vulnerable with God and I started getting really honest with him and, and started to finally get past the surface level stuff that I tend to do in my daily prayers with God and just let it all out there. And I found myself really in that moment wrestling with God and being vulnerable with God and I didn't like it because I already knew he knew everything I told him. And I don't know why I couldn't tell him for the first half hour, 45 minutes of the walk, but now I'm feeling really insecure on my prayer walk with God. And instead of feeling comforted and at peace and that everything is good in the world and God loves me and I love God, instead I'm feeling very exposed in that moment and there's nobody else around that I know of. Because where I like to walk and praise at the Davon Town Park. So if you ever accidentally want to have a counseling appointment with me, you just have to randomly show up and hope that I'm on a prayer walk and then you can hear me expose the things in my heart that you don't want to know. And I'm talking to God and in this moment I'm feeling really, really, really vulnerable and I say, God, I just need to know that you love me. And I start walking in silence. I don't know what I was waiting for in that moment. I was waiting for some sort of voice that says, Matt, I love you. Go home. Your wife misses you. You know something, but nothing came. You know what I was really looking for? A new beginning. A new beginning. I was looking for a fresh start. I was looking for a do-over. I was looking for something that said, Matt, I know you, I love you, I'm with you, I've never left you, but I'm here right now. And then I said this crazy thing. I said, God, I'm not hearing anything. I don't, you're like, you're like, you're silent. How do I know? How do I know that we're good after I just expose all these things in my heart? How do I know? And then I said, God, if you want to show me your love, would you do me a favor? Just send some sort of angelic being right now. Yes, this isn't smart. Don't do this. What I could tell you happened next was Nothing. I walk for another half hour. I kind of like around every turn. I'm like, you know, every time somebody sees an angel in the Bible, they're terrified. I'm thinking, okay, I don't know if I really want this. I actually just asked this. Thank God he didn't give it to me. So then I'm left with this 30-minute walk of wondering, God, do you really love me? Because I asked for a sign, and you didn't give it to me. So here's the question. Have you ever wanted a sign from God? Have you ever wanted God to show you with absolute confidence, I'm with you, I'm for you, you're going to be okay. Because that's what New Year's resolutions are really about, aren't they? At the end of the day, we're looking for some new beginning that tells us everything is going to be okay. Did you know you're not alone in this request, if you've ever done this before? There's a guy named David in the Bible. And I realize some of you know him, but some of you don't. So let me bring you up to speed. David was a young shepherd boy. He was sent out as the youngest of the brothers to, to care for the flock. He was a little runt of a guy. The Bible tells us he was ruddy or reddish. We don't even know what to do with the Hebrew word. It's possible he had a reddish tint to his skin or his hair, but he was just a kind of a rugged, ruddy kind of guy. But he was handsome, and he worked with the animals. And out there in the animals, it was a little bit lonely. But he learned to depend on God through the hardships of caring for the animals. And even a couple times, he even had to lay down his own life for his sheep. A couple times he had to fight off some wild animals, some serious wild animals like lions and tigers and bears. I just always wonder how many times you'll say it with me. As we get older, we'll stop saying it. Everybody under 30 won't know what we're talking about. But anyway, and as he would defend his sheep, he would begin to sing these songs and write these songs about the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. Later, God would make him a king and call him a king after his own heart. But while God would make him a king, somewhere around 15 years old, he would tell him, You'll be king one day. He didn't actually get to become king for many, many years later. We're not even exactly sure how many years later, but many years later, he would become a king. In between being a shepherd teenager who pursues the heart of God and actually becoming king, he's chased down. He's nearly threatened with death. He's literally pursued by the army of Israel, his own people to kill him for having done nothing wrong. He's had spears thrown at his head. All kinds of crazy things have happened because it's the preparing for kingship. Struggle and hardship and difficult times are all part of God growing a person into the person that God intends for them to become. But it's this king, King David. He's the true Renaissance man warrior, lover, songwriter, king, and he writes some of the most beautiful and poetic psalms, songs in the entire Bible. One of them, here we see, I want to show you in Psalm chapter 86, we don't even know the context of what David's going through, and I'm gonna show you a snippet. We're skipping a lot of stuff, but he says this in verse 12. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You've delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Oh God, ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You see it there. King David, the man after God's own heart, the man made king as a teenager, the man who is literally uh, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. We're told that when Messiah will come, he'll be a king like David, but his kingdom will last forever. This is an important biblical character, extremely important biblical character. And though he had great and colossal failures, he's considered a great and important biblical character. And this man asks God, for a sign, give me a sign of your goodness so that my enemies may see it and be put to shame for you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Sometimes I wish I knew exactly what was going on in David's life. Who was pursuing him? Who was his enemy? What is happening in this moment? But I don't know those things, and I'll never know those things. And part of me likes it that way because then I can look into my story and relate to what he's going through. Now, sometimes in America, we have a hard time understanding enemy language. There's not a lot of us, though there may be some of you, there's not a lot of us who have true enemies the way that David would have in his day. Uh, raiding armies and other people in power, trying to undercut and overthrow and kill and destroy. Some of you in your businesses may experience that. Most of us do not. But I can relate with David because what David is crying out for is for God to show up and show off in his life in such a way that those who are coming at him will see that something is special and unique about him. Ever wanted a sign before? Let's be honest for just a moment. Sometimes we create New Year's resolutions, don't we, in order to get a sign. God, this year, I'm gonna be different in all these ways. And in the back of our mind, we're hoping that like if I, you know, like Santa Claus, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout telling you why because Santa Claus is coming to town. And you know if you cry and pout, you're getting coal. I think we ought to reinstitute that, by the way, with our children. You only have to do it one Christmas. It'll work every, every year after that. But we sometimes think of God this way. God, I'll do these set of things so that you'll do these set of things. And 2020 is going to be a new year. 2020 vision, right? I'm going to, new ideas, new things. God, here we go. I'll do my part. You do yours. But the biblical story says, God, you are unfailing. God, you and your faithful love. God, you care for me. So, God, show off. Show off. Show off. Here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not. God actually already gave you a sign that he loves you. Did you know that? The cross of Jesus Christ is a clear sign of God's care. The cross of Christ is a clear sign of God's care. In fact, 1 John chapter four, verse nine says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So if you're ever wondering, God, do you love me? Do you care for me? God, what hoops do I need to jump through? God, what things do I need to do to get you on my side? The answer is, it's already done. God is already for you. God has already shown you that he's for you and giving you Jesus Christ His one and only son. But don't miss what John is saying in 1 John here. 1 John chapter 4, he's trying to connect a dot for you. If you're ever wondering if I'm enough, if you're ever wondering if God is for me, if you're ever wondering, are things going to work out, you can always look to the cross. That's the first part of what John's trying to get to. But then the second part, so that we might live through him. That's the emphasis of what John's trying to build to. Because we have confidence that God is for us, God is with us, God is even in us, in Jesus Christ, because of that, we can now live this life today in 2020 for him. Because the cross brings us what we always needed. That's why. Maybe it brings up the question, how exactly does the cross bring us what we always needed? needed. You may find, if you come to Kingsway for any length of time, that I often go back to one particular story in the Bible over and over and over again, outside of the cross. And that is Genesis chapters one, two, and three. Because in Genesis one, two, and three, we see where everything went wrong. And everything else we see in life and everything else we read in the Bible comes back to that beginning and shows us why what Jesus did is perfect for what went wrong in the beginning. Because in the beginning, when Adam and Eve ran around in a garden that God made, and they lived a life of peace and joy, everything was good in the world. Literally, at the end of every creation epic, God said, this is good, this is good, this is good. Then he makes Adam, there's no Eve, it's not good. But then he makes Eve, and it's very good, and everything is wonderful, but then when Adam and Eve turn away from God, understand theologically what they're doing in that moment is rebelling in their hearts against him. They're turning their hearts away from him because they want to be in charge of their own life. And what came as a byproduct of being in charge of their own life is pain and brokenness, what the Bible calls sin. Sin. We actually see this in the Old Testament. God comes to a people, calls it Israelites. says, you're going to be my, I will be your father. You'll be my children. I'll be your king. I'll be your leader. I'll be your ruler and your savior. You'll be my people. And he says to them, and if you follow after me, and if you obey all my laws and decrees, then I will bless you enough to a thousand generations. I will take care of you and provide for you and meet all your needs. You're know, like, well, pastor, didn't you just say this? not how God works? Just stick with me for a minute. Because he also says, and if you don't, If you turn away from me, then basically I'm going to remove my hand of protection. I'm going to remove my hand of blessing. And what happens, happens. And the entire Old Testament can be understood in terms of waves. The people of God riding well with God. They're doing well. They're following him. They're living for him. And they're experiencing some blessing in their life. But then the valley comes. And then the peak comes. And then the valley comes. And then the peak comes. And life just goes like this. Until it gets a little further down, a little further down, a little further down. Each valley is lower than the one before and each peak is lower than the one before. So how do we tie all these thoughts together? Here's why the cross is so important for you and for me. Because the cross truly was new. The cross truly was a game changer. There's a delineation, a line drawn in the sand between the old and the new. The old points to the new, but there was a difference. There's something new. When Jesus looks at the disciples and says, there's something new that I am doing. This is a new thing. We look at the old to understand the new, but the new is new. And here is the new, that God is for you in Jesus Christ. In fact, in John again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, John says it this way, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, when Jesus came and died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he gave you what you always needed but could never accomplish on your own. He gave, yeah, you can clap for that. We can stop give God the glory. The Old Testament is full of examples of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of people trying and failing and trying and failing and failing and failing, and failing and failing and failing and failing and failing and not even trying and then back to trying. Again, to get it all put together and to get God on their side. And in Jesus, God sent his one and only son so that all of a sudden the effort is over. I no longer am trying to win God's favor. I'm no longer trying to win God's love. I'm no longer trying to get God on my side. God is on my side in Jesus. Amen. It is a new thing, a new day, a new beginning. So what do I do with that? I have to understand the equation. This is, this is not common core math. This is not old school math. This isn't, as I like to joke with my wife, she's from Kentucky, this isn't Kentucky math. This isn't preacher count math. You know, you're asking a preacher, how many people were there on Sunday? Oh, like 10,000. It was a a lot. (laughs) This is probably terrible math, but it's just math and it's enough. Ready? God's love plus nothing equals everything. God's love plus nothing equals everything. How? How is it possible? Because if I'm hungry, how's God's love gonna feed me? If I don't have enough money to pay my bills, how is God's love going to take care of me? If I'm feeling lonely because I'm in a marriage where somebody won't respond in love, how is God's love supposed to provide for me? If I live in a home where parents are too consumed with their own lives, that they've actually literally abandoned me, or maybe just for the sake of life that just feels like they've abandoned me, how is God's love enough? What if I'm in a job where no matter how hard I work, it's never good enough? The great thing that all of us have, warring against our faith is our fear. Don't miss that. You might write that one down. The great thing that all of us have, warring against our faith is our fear. And what God did in Jesus Christ is he came in love to show us You can trust me. I am for you. God's love plus nothing equals everything. How? Because Jesus promises us, if you seek my kingdom first, I'll make sure you have all the clothes you need. I'll make sure you have all the food you need. I'll take care of you. I will personally take it upon myself to make sure that all of your needs are met. God's love plus nothing. How does that work in my marriage? It means that in the hard moments when you're fighting with your spouse, God's love calls you to be humble and to repent of what you did wrong, even if you're only 10% of the problem. And God's love promises that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will go before you and convict the other person of what they did wrong. You don't have to be their savior. You can rest in his work. Oh, it may take longer than you want. But you can even rest that in the time that you have to wait for God to convict the other person, that God's working on it and he's bringing about all things together for your good. And if you have some sort of power structure over you, be it a boss or a parent or a government that you don't trust and that you find oppressive or whatever it might be, in the meantime, what you could do is continue to show up and faithfully live for Jesus every single day because the righteous will live by their faithfulness. And you can do that and trust that God is holding all things together. So therefore, the absolute worst that can happen to you is that your life get taken from you. You'll go be with him anyway. But apart from that, God's going to work it together. God's gonna provide, he's gonna bring, and it may take some time, but you can trust in faith when you look at the cross that God's got it. How? When Jesus went to the cross, was it hard? Because Jesus died on a cross, does that mean that God didn't love him? Because Jesus suffered on a cross, does that mean God didn't care? Instead, when we look at the cross, we look at the suffering of Jesus, instead of seeing that, well, God didn't care about him. No, 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 that's what it looked like from a human standpoint, but from a heavenly standpoint, we see the exact opposite. This is his son, this was the plan, and in doing so, we know we can trust him because now we believe in a savior who understands suffering. We believe in a savior who understands pain. He understands our story. He's the perfect one to meet us where we are, care for us, love us, nurture us, grow us, and mature us in him. Yeah, you can clap for that. People are like, I don't know what to clap, I don't know what not to clap. It's cool. Because God's love plus nothing equals everything. This is why Peter, and I don't have this verse up here for you, but Peter actually says, I think it's at first Peter, he says, We have everything we need for life and godliness in Jesus Christ our Lord. Everything we need. Everything we need. If you've not experienced that in your life, then possibly you've not come to a full experience of God's love, and I want that for you in 2020. Of all of the weight goals, of all of the personal goals, and work goals, and leadership goals, and finance goals, and all the other goals that you've created, and they're all great, go after them. But of them all, I want you to put one above them all, and the one I want you to put above them all is that in 2020, you will cultivate a relationship with God. He is not some other out there. He is real, and he is right here. He's right here, right now. He is a relationship God. He's a being. I dare call him a person, but Jesus was a person. And it's complex, and it's confusing. We're going to spend the next four to six weeks studying this whole thing. No joke. So if you want to know more about who God is and what it means for me, you need to keep coming and keep coming over the next couple months. This is what we're digging into. Who is God and what does it mean for us? And how do I worship him? David, again, in the Psalms, he writes this beautiful Psalm. Again, we don't know the context of the Psalm, what's going on in David's life, but he says this in Psalm 103, verse one. He says this, I praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Why would youth being renewed like the eagles be relevant? Well, again, the Bible is full of imagery and the Psalms especially is powerful. But when you think about it, I don't know if you've ever seen an eagle fly. Have you ever seen an eagle? Anybody in here ever watched an eagle do its thing? Not on TV. It doesn't count. Ever watched a real eagle? There was this one time, we were living in Colorado, we'd only been there a year, and one of the youth volunteers had asked us to watch their house, and they had this beautiful home that sat at the base of the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, probably 15, 20 minutes outside of Estes Park, and their house had a big piece of land, and they had a lake in the back that some other neighbors used, I mean, a big piece, and a big lake, and we had a little dog. And you could sit at their breakfast nook and watch the eagles come out, sit in the trees, and fish in the lake every single morning. And my wife warned me one time, don't let the dog out on their own. And that's like permission for a husband to say, I'll prove you wrong, right? And one day I let the dog out and there was a massive snowstorm I remember because I was sitting there watching the eagles fish in the lake and I'm eating my breakfast. And I watched my dog get a little bit close to the lake, and I watched the eagle turn 100 degrees around to facing my dog. And at that moment, I thought, the only thought I had at that moment, I'm not really worried about the dog. How am I going to explain to my wife that my dog just became an eagle snack? <laughs> and I watched the eagle stare down my dog, and I jumped up out of the table. I jumped off of the deck on the second level, onto about a 10-foot pile of snow, bruised my leg massively, ran and like yelling like a banshee. At the same moment that I did this, eagle came out of the tree, swooped down, and when I ran like a crazy man, it went the other way. And I'm convinced he was about to eat my dog. And the whole time, I'm thinking, Rachel's going to kill me, Rachel's going to kill me, Rachel's (laughs) going to kill me. And then when it was over and I have my dog in my arms, he doesn't know what's going on. He's like, <laughs> when I have my dog in my arms and I'm holding him, going, get mom, we gotta get a leash on you and not tell your mother about this. <laughs> She'll be in the next service. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the other thing I thought is, that is one beautiful, powerful, majestic creature. That animal is stunning to watch. And anybody who's ever watched an eagle do its thing knows the power and the might and the beauty of the eagle. And David is crying out to God and he's saying, God, I don't ever want to forget your goodness and your faithfulness. God, I don't ever want to forget that you provide and you care for me. Because when you are in God's love, this is what you experience. When you are resting in his love, when you are connected to him, what you find is love and compassion. Your desires get met with good things. And so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. You get what you're ultimately looking for when you look for it in him. You get what you're looking for when you're looking for it in Him. When you stop chasing after things that cannot produce what you want them to, you find what you're ultimately looking for all along right there in Him. Notice this in verse six the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus was a game changer, but Jesus was foretold for years. The way the Hebrew people practiced getting right with God is they would do ritual sacrifice weekly and monthly, even yearly on the great day of atonement for all the sins that they missed and the sins of the nation. They'd get together and they would pay in animals and they would sacrifice in blood and in in, offerings of all kinds of sorts to try to be right with God. And when Jesus came, he put an end to that whole system and he said, now I'm going to pay the greatest cost. If God provided for David under a broken system, how much more will God provide for you under Jesus Christ? Do you know the word there? If you would, just put back up verse six. The Lord works righteousness, justice for the oppressed. The word Lord there, when you see it capitalized, do you know what it means? It means Yahweh. You may not know why that's powerful. Yahweh is the name given to Moses at the burning bush when Moses says, when they ask me who sent me, what do I tell them? And God says, tell them Yahweh. We translate Yahweh, we don't exactly know, but it's something like, I am that I am. You'll often see it translated, I am. Tell them I am sent you, which is a really bad English grammatical name. But the point of Yahweh, the point of I am, As nobody created me, I am. Nobody makes me do anything, I am. Nobody is my king, I am. Nobody has the power, I am. Nobody has the resources, I am. Nobody has the compassion and the love that you're looking for, I am. Do you see how this works? So when you go to those foreign nations and you find all the things that they worship there and they're looking to those things for their needs to be met, just know you will not get your needs met in anything other than I am. This is such a powerful biblical concept that when Jesus shows up, he says it over and over and over again before Abraham was, I am. I am the great shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he says these things, the Pharisees pick up stones to kill Jesus because they know that Jesus is claiming to be God in the flesh. They know that Jesus is proclaiming, I am. I am the one who will free you. I am the one who will protect you. I am the one who will provide for you. I am the one who loves you. I will not fail. So when you look at 2020, how are you elevating God to the top of your priority list? How are you leaning into him and trusting him in whatever it is that you're going to face in 2020? The reason that we gather every single week at Kingsway Christian Church and do what we're doing right now is because we have a core value. And the core value is celebration. Celebration. And celebration says, we love God. We love God. And because we love God, we gather together to let him know. Listen, if you're visiting with us, if you're watching online, it may seem really weird that thousands of people show up, actually billions of people if you go worldwide, but thousands of people here on the corner of 10th and Dan Jones show up, mostly every week, to sing songs. And some of the songs we sing, you read those words, they don't make any sense in your normal school, work, life. Unless you know him, and then they all make sense because we continually get together and sing songs about his goodness and his faithfulness. We gather together in our small groups throughout the week, even at our men's and women's retreats that are coming up. We do this to proclaim his goodness, his love, his faithfulness, because those of us who have faith know we are nothing without him. We have nothing without him. And everything we're looking for in this life, we will never find apart from him. We need him. And so we gather together to say, we love you, God. You and you alone are worthy of our praise. Here's my heart, here's my mind, Here's my soul. Here's my strength. What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do with me? Let 2020 be a new day and a new year. Have you done that? Is there something in your life that's holding you back from God? Is there something in your life that is distracting you from going all in with him? Is there something in your life that you love or desire more than Him? And even if you don't, is there something in your life that's taking His place in you? Is something in your life first, above, and before Him? What could you do to put God first? What could you do to make this a new year? Because here's where David concludes Psalm 103. Let's look at verse 19. Skip a few. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you, mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. The power of what David is proclaiming as he starts in these verses at the very top. Those of you who stand in the presence of God and could see what we long to see, praise his name. Those of you who work on God's behalf, interacting somehow with this world in ways we can't see or understand those spiritual beings, praise his name. Those here on earth who are under his rule and dominion, praise his name. And then he concludes with, and me, my soul, me, my heart, me, my life, praise his name. Let everything under the heavens and on the earth, praise his name. But don't forget where David came from. He was just a shepherd boy out in the field. Slowly getting to know through hardship and toil that God was good. And this psalm begins with, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's the one who redeems. He's the one who restores. He's the one who provides. So he concludes with, so therefore, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Right now, we're going to move into a time of communion. Listen, real quick, don't transition yet. All right, but just settle for a second. If you're visiting with us, or if you don't come to Kingsway that often, what we're about to do may be weird to you. I know. And I actually apologize that it's weird It's normal for us who come on a somewhat regular basis. You'll see a table here. There's tables over here. There's tables, I believe, even up there. There's tables all around the room. On those tables are communion. There is no moment more powerful than communion for us to become one with our heavenly Father. In communion, when we take this bread and we take this juice, what we're doing in that moment is we're eating and we're drinking the faithfulness of God. We're taking the bread and we're saying, thank you, God, for giving us Jesus' body, which hung on a cross. He took our place. When we drink the juice, we're representing the blood of Jesus. And we're taking it and we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for pouring out your blood to wash away our sins, to make us right with God again. What comes through this is a literal blessing We do this to remember what Jesus did and it is a blessing for us because if God loved you enough to give his only son to make you right with himself, how much more will he provide for you, his children, as you take this bread and this juice? Let this be the first communion of 2020. Let it be a moment of connection to your father and whatever you need to talk to him about, do it. You wanna go back to your seat and sit? You wanna kneel at the front of the stage? You wanna find a friend and pray, a spouse, a child, Do it. Take your time and just do it. On these tables, you'll find our communion boxes. There's also boxes in the walls at the back of the room if you come here often. This is our moment to come and say, God, thank you for your faithfulness. I'm being generous back to you as best as I know how for all that you've done to me. Everything I have is from you. Let 2020 start right. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. May we, like David, Pray, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You are the God who redeems. You are the God who restores. You are the God who heals. You are the God who provides. You are the God who pursues. You are the God who loves. God, you and you alone are worthy of our praise. So God, let us be a people who celebrate you because we love you. In Jesus' name.